Well, then let's wrap up with key point number three, and then we'll unpack it from the rest of the chapter. In a hostile culture, God is still sovereign and knows all things and can do all things. Let's pick back up at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Isn't that hilarious? Arioch is ready to take credit and say, by the way, I just want the king to know that I have found the man who has made the, you know, who's going to make known the dream. Arioch is, he, boy, he is a politician, isn't he? He, is, he knows that he's going in to see the king, and he wants the king to know that he found this guy, and he is now bringing him, not that Daniel asked him, not that Daniel approached him, not that Daniel was the one that was at the center of this, but no, Arioch is going to come in and take credit for all that. The king answered, said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. Keep in mind, they wanted his name changed. So that's, that's what it's referencing here. Daniel was his Hebrew name. Belshazzar was his Babylonian name. Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Now, before we continue there with verse 29, do you, do you see how Daniel is already, is already making much of God? He's already emphasizing, hey, I want you to know that all of your magicians, all of your sorcerers, all the people that are in your kingdom, whom you've trained up, whom you have equipped, not one of them could do this, but there is a God in heaven who can. There is a God who knows secret things. There is a God who can make known these things, and I want you to know that it is him. Verse 29, as for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, now look at how Daniel responds here. This secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. He's even saying, listen, this is not about me. Listen to the humility that Daniel has here. This is not about me or that I've got more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest of arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that, was, that, was struck, that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold, but after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. You know, when we read through that, um, on hearing the accurate description of the dream, the king knew that Daniel was telling the truth. And he knew that he could trust what he was going to say about the interpretation. Scholars have incredible um, agreement on what are these kingdoms. Well, the head of gold is clear because the scriptures themselves declare that that's Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. And that would have lasted from the year 636 B.C. to 539 B.C. And Daniel explicitly tells us it's the current kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, if you remember that chiastic structure, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is going to have a vision. And in that vision, he's going to help us understand even better these four kingdoms. And he's going to give us some additional details. In fact, it's going to be a chapter that is so rich 
with prophecy and so rich with things and so specific to what these kingdoms will look like that that's why there's incredible agreement among scholars on who these kingdoms belong to. And in chapter 7, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom of Babylon is described as a lion or like a lion with eagle's wings. The breast and the arms of silver are strongly in agreement that that is the Medo-Persian kingdom. It would have lasted from 539 B.C. to about 330 B.C. And chapter 7 describes it as a bear. Then we have the belly and the thighs of bronze. And this is the, the Greeks. This is the Greek kingdom from 330 B.C. all the way to 63 B.C. Chapter 7 describes it as a leopard or like a leopard with four wings and four heads. And then we have the legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And this one is the Roman Empire. This one is, is unlike, unlike the other in, in that uh, they're extremely strong, iron, uh, but at the same time there's, some, there's a fragile aspect to them. And they would have lasted from 63 B.C. until, you know, there's, there's a number of different dates, 476 B.C., but there's several different dates associated with the Roman Empire. And in chapter 7, it's incomparable beast. It's this beast that has ten horns. Ten horns. It's the same um, kingdom that's described in Daniel chapter 2 with the feet. Uh, so how many toes do you have on feet? You know, it talks about the, the, the feet and the toes uh, being a mixture of iron and clay and the clay being very fragile and the iron being very strong, but the two don't mix together. So there's, there's certain agreement uh, among the scholars of the identity of these four kingdoms. And the uncertainty is, it, where the uncertainty comes in is this, and this is where we'll wrap up. What are the ten horns or the ten toes? Who are they? And when will they emerge or have they emerged? Well, here's what we know uh, with a reasonable plausibility. These are ten nations that are world powers. Ten nations. And we can also say with with a high degree of probability that these ten nations, because of the way that it reads, have an agreement with one another. So you have 10 nations that are world powers, and they're all in agreement with one another. They're not at odds with each other, they're at peace with one another, and they're at least, they at least have some type of alliance. But their alliance is going to be fragile. They're strong because of the iron, but they're fragile because of the clay. And then the scriptures say they, have, they will have iron in them the strength of the iron shall be in it. In other words, the influence of Rome is going to be evident. So often, um, when we think of it this way, when we, when we talk about Western culture, what are we talking about? We are certainly part of Western culture, right, in, in America. We are part of the Western culture. What is that getting at? It means that we have been influenced by Rome. Rome set the standard for what the Western world was going to look like. 
Rome set the standard for what all of Europe uh, and moving west, what everything else is going to look like. In fact, even to this day, there are pieces of iron strength found in us as Western culture simply because we have followed some of the things that, that Rome once did. Uh, a couple of examples. Rome was the very first uh, to develop a, an interstate system. We have the, the Eisenhower interstate system, right? We have all these roads that connect all of the states, and we can get from one place to another. You ever heard this phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Now, why is that? That's because they had this influence on Western culture. They created an infrastructure, a system, where coming out of Rome, they could get anywhere. With that system, you know what else they developed? A postal system. They developed a means of getting uh, parcels to different people uh, from, from one place to the next. What did that do? That influenced Western culture. So Rome, to this day, is what? Still influencing the governments around us. Still influencing the world around us. Still has what we would call Western culture still has an influence. So with that being said, look, look back at verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. In other words, it's not going to stay Rome. It's not just going to stay Rome. Rome is going to have an influence, and it's going to branch out into ten. Now, how do we know that this is still future tense? Because chapter 7 tells us that while those ten nations are in power, there is one more horn that's going to emerge. And that horn is going to start off small. And that horn is identified as the Antichrist. So, that's how we can say with certainty that that last one, not only is it defeated by Christ, who is the stone that came in and destroyed uh, the, the image, but we can say with certainty that the Babylonian culture, Nebuchadnezzar are the first one, we can say with certainty that at the end uh, we know that, uh, there is, that those are going to be destroyed. It's future tense because with the, with the ten toes, with the ten horns, there is emerging an eleventh horn and that's going to be the Antichrist. So that hasn't happened, and since it has not happened, that tells us this one is future tense. But here's what we can say with absolute certainty, and we'll close with this. God will reveal who these nations are in his perfect timing. In his timing, he will. But we know that these ten toes, or horns, are future tense because the Antichrist has yet to emerge. And God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And when world leaders change, it never interrupts or thwarts the sovereignty or plan of God. In fact, through the years, God has given Nebuchadnezzar, even though he wasn't even a follower of the Lord, gave him the power. The authority that Nebuchadnezzar had was only given him because of God. Then there's also the times, you know, a, a lot of times you think of, you think, well, these are kings. The people didn't have a say. 
Or did they? Think about this. How did Saul end up king of Israel? Wasn't God's plan. Wasn't God's choice. God I'm your king. But because the people were insistent, no, we want a king like all the other nations, what did God do? God said, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want. There is a time, even in Scripture, where God will give us what we want. And God will use that for ultimately for his glory. So even in Scripture, we see that happening. But this, this is the most important part. It does not matter if Nebuchadnezzar is on the throne, Cyrus is on the throne, Alexander Great is on the throne, Caesar is on the throne, or even Trump or Biden. God the Father, the one Daniel calls the Ancient of Days, is paving the way for his son, Jesus Christ, to sit on the eternal throne. The throne that is going to come in and be like this stone that is going to dust all of the others away. That it is going to be all of the others, as significant as they were, <clears throat> as significant as Alexander the Great, as significant as Caesar, as, as significant as Cyrus and Nebuchadnezzar were, those are going to be like chaff on the floor. And they're going to blow away like dust compared to the kingdom that is coming that the Ancient of Days has set up. So hear me on this, just as God has placed Daniel and his three friends in the midst of Babylon, God has placed you here in a hostile culture, in a hostile world. And Daniel's presence in Babylon opened up the door for the one true living God to be known among the Gentile people. And it even played a role for generations to come. It is my prayer that your presence at Grace Point is laying a foundation for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be made known for generations to come, even after our names have long been forgotten. Let me read these last four verses of the chapter, and then we'll pray. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face prostrate before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and a chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. One last thought. In a hostile culture, God works through the circumstances to make himself known.